0: Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure off-site backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com.
1: Live from our WSBT radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Hey. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Bad! Bad! A weekday, a good! A It's the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They
2: score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game.
1: The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets! Now, here's your host, seven time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett.
2: We welcome you to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. On your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com. On the free WSBT Radio app. The Twitch app is where you will find a picture of Eric in a red shirt right now reading his computer. And me in a blue pullover. (laughs) Trying to figure out if the camera's straight or not. But anyway, we are here. We're ready to talk some football. Eric Hansen is the publisher and editor at InsideNDSports.com. a veteran of primetime games and how to write stories. Well, you don't have such deadlines anymore like you used to have in the paper. Well, in the second quarter, I'll let you know tomorrow what happened. Now you can just write, write, write until 5 in the morning.
0: Some of those tight deadlines were actually... There was a positive to them that you were done earlier, but the negative was you don't feel like you served your readers. Yeah. I mean, even when you got the whole game in and really couldn't tell the story right, didn't have quotes or whatever, that you know, and then you're that's no good.
2: No question. A little easier having your own internet website and it is. You've got people there that have been there and done that and you put together a great product. Is the deal still going? The deal is still going.
0: We're still giving away. And and a lot of people didn't want to read the internet after that. I understand <laughs> that. Uh, but, but as you come back and want to read, we are still giving our deal to WSBT subscribers. If you want to f- try us out for a month, and that's all the premium content in addition to the stuff you get for free, just go to InsideNDSports.com, click on the subscribe button, and scroll down. And use the code ND Radio. That's ND Radio, and you get a full month. And then afterwards, we by that time we should know whether Notre Dame has righted the ship or not. And then you can <laughs> decide whether you want to stay with us or if you want to be with us when we figure out all the
2: answers. That's exactly right. That's going to be an interesting off season. I have a feeling it's always going to be interesting now with the transfer portal, but this year it. Could be a little interesting in South Bend. But we've got games to play, including a rivalry game against the University of Southern California, Saturday night at 7.30, pregame at 1.00. Game day sports beat presented by Bud Light begins from 4.00 and ends at 6.30 here on WSBT Radio. So Eric and I are going to talk all things Notre Dame football the first hour, second hour of the program Everything is football-related except I have one little hockey segment to get to as the Notre Dame hockey team opened up last weekend against Cloxon. So we'll give you some details on this new-look Irish hockey team coming up in the second hour of the program. But (laughs) we have plenty to talk about because Eric and I actually haven't talked this week. Normally we might have a phone call or a bunch of texts about the last game. So I don't know how Eric feels about a lot of these Offensive questions and going forward on fourth and 11 from your own 35 in a two scorer game with just under 10 to go. I don't know what he thinks about her. Offensive linemen rotating, and there's a <laughs> lot of stuff, man. There was a lot of stuff. I said this the other day. If you're a veteran of writing a book, I bet you you could write a 300 page book from this time frame the start of the fourth quarter against Ohio State to the end of the Louisville game through the press conference on Monday. I bet you you could write quite the book because remember the Buzz Bissinger story about he was in the Cardinal dugout with Tony LaRusse and wrote about being in the dugout in a baseball game and how it all transpired? Wasn't it three nights in August? I couldn't think of the name of it. Yes, it was against the Cubs. You could do the same type of thing because there's so much wackiness and head-scratching and what-just-happened-type moments in that time frame.
0: The only reason or the only way that book would sell is this reason if that becomes the inflection point and everything changes for the better because of it. Right. If it doesn't, then people are going to ban the book or use it for firewood.
2: Well, I, my point was it would be an entertaining book. I'm not yes. sure if it would sell, yeah, but yeah. the detail... Well, that's, you could, you, that's a big detail. I'm though. not worried about selling books. Oh, yeah. I, I just think, man, you could write 300 pages on yeah. all the stuff that's happened since the fourth Ooh. quarter. Of the Ohio State game. I (laughs) have. I mean, there were moments in the fourth quarter of that game you're thinking, why not Notre Dame, big picture? And now look where we are. They were out of the playoff picture 57 days before the four teams are announced.
0: 57. And and more than three weeks before the first four teams, the first
2: reveal of the season. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Crazy. You ready to roll? I am. Okay. I can't wait. Let's do this. And to be fair, or not fair, I probably have spent the last two days 85% of the conversation on the Notre Dame offense, and not a whole lot on the defense. So I'll get to your thoughts on that in a moment. But first, why don't we talk offense? Because offensive coordinator Jared Parker met the media last night. We're going to play some of his comments coming up, and I will read, because I don't have the soundbite, his explanation on offensive line rotation well okay. kind of an explanation. I don't we didn't get a full explanation, but we'll read it. Okay. I want to take you back, Eric, to Monday's press conference you were sitting in there. I called it at times a cringeworthy press conference, and
0: I did not disagree.
2: I know you did not. Here was Marcus Freeman being asked about offensive play calling. Is there a concern and we will play the complete answer and then we'll have a discussion. So, Here's a reminder of what Marcus said on Monday.
3: Yeah, we're, it's everything we do as an offensive staff is a collaborative effort, and we, we talk about it. And so, you know, I have no issues with the play calling, right? I have issues with the execution, and, and that's what we have to attack. We can blame it on the call. We can blame it on anything we want, but the reality is, if we feel strongly enough to call that play, then we have to have answers for why it did or doesn't work. And so that's where I'm attacking is why didn't it work? If if this guy was supposed to do that and he was supposed to do that, then then that's the issue. We have to make sure our guys are crystal clear on what they need to do and don't make mistakes.
2: Okay. So he said he had no issue with the play calling by Jared Parker, but he had an issue with the execution, which points to the players. And I think, to be fair, the position coaches – who are coaching them how to perform correctly during those plays. But he did say execution, so players first come to mind. And then he goes on to say, if we called it, we have to figure out why it didn't work. And that just sounds to me, Eric, like, well, we call it, it should have worked. It's on the players for not executing or something happened in the teaching of it. So I don't know if there's are quotes he'd like to have back. I thought they were a little awkward. So let's now take a step forward. You've heard what Marcus said. If you're a fan of the Fighting Irish, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of this, there's concern about the play calling. (laughs) I don't believe it's all play calling, Eric. I went through this last night. There's a lot of things. The only person that hasn't
0: asked me about the play calling was my grandson who turned eight on Sunday night. He did not ask. What did you get me for? (laughs) He said, how much is that gift card for that you're taking me to Target for? (laughs)
2: And you got him a football one-on-one book so he could be an offensive (laughs) coordinator someday and enjoy all this. I just think to say he had no issue with the play calling, I was uncomfortable with that. I think there's a lot going on here. So, Eric, let's just start with this. Offensive play calling, is that at least part of a massive group of things that have kind of gone haywire the last couple of weeks?
0: It's at the top of the list. Okay. Yeah. I would say it's the linchpin for everything else because you play complementary football. It contributes to fatigue and what's going on with the defense. It affects offensive line play. It affects Sam Hartman's play. It affects how the wide receivers look. It is, to me, that's what you have to fix first. And then everything else can be fixed from that. Even the offensive line rotation can be <laughs> helped by better play calling.
2: So you believe the play calling is issue number 1.
0: Absolutely.
2: So let me just give you what I've been saying and we can have a conversation about it. Okay. I think it's an issue, but to me I guess this kind of plays into your comment actually in a roundabout way. Mike Elko seemed to set a blueprint on how to defend Notre Dame's offense. Play tight on the outside, you take away their running game with extra men in the box, and you force those wide receivers to beat you. And so far, Eric, that has not happened. So can you scheme your way out of that? I think absolutely. Jared's responsibility is to scheme their way into making plays because last time I checked, this isn't the first time this defensive strategy has been done in American football. It happens all the time, so this is not rocket science. it but, had happened.
0: It happened constantly last
2: season when Drew Pine was the quarterback yeah. and Jared Parker was on the staff. That's another good point. But I really feel like his play calling duties would get much easier if you had wide receivers play more consistently, which would get the extra head out of the box, which might open up the run game. But the offensive line rotation was one of the strangest, and I've been calling it unique decisions that I have seen in my 25 years. Now, I know Harry did something similar. We had a conversation about that. But I'm just not comfortable with Shrouth playing left guard and then right guard. And then we hear Marcus Freeman say, well, we wanted to get Christophic some snaps to create competition. You create competition in practice, Harry. You don't do it in the game. So I start with the receivers causing Jared headaches, but I think he might have created his own issue because he's the coordinator, and whoever's decision it was to rotate interior offensive linemen, it just was a unique look that did not work well. Okay,
0: so where I will seed you the wide receiver <laughs> argument is in two places. Sure. One is, in the Duke game, they were very limited. They Absolutely. had three receivers, and Duke knew that and took advantage of that unique situation. They weren't as limited against Louisville, nor as Louisville's defense, or at least to that point, had they been as good as Duke's defense. Um, So the other thing is that this coaching staff was counting on a field receiver to be better than average, if not elite, whether that's Tobias Meriwether or Rico Flores. And when that doesn't happen, The field starts to close up in terms of your options. The other plays are harder. When you have, let's say you could take Wolf Fuller from 2015 and put him on this team, it puts the opposing defensive coordinator then in a real dilemma in terms of how he wants to defend everything else besides Wolf Fuller. Mm -hmm. And we saw those, we saw defensive coordinators generally choose. I'm going to bring safety help always with Will Fuller, and and we will deal with everything else. The one person that didn't was pit coach Pat Narduzzi, and it was shooting fish in a barrel with Deshaun Kaiser and Will Fuller that day. I mean, it was amazing how stubborn he was about not committing that safety there. So those are the two areas where I would say. But the play calling, I think, down in distance hurts uh, let me go back here. Sure. So I think the general consensus on the beat, and I think Jaron, you would be in agreement of this, Sam Hartman was supposed to make this uh Final piece eight of man the puzzle. in the box yeah. proof offense. Okay. That if you overplayed the run, you can make them play with you can make them pay with the pass. If they overplayed the pass, you could open that up with the run. And for the first four games, that pretty much worked. But Duke took, again, with Notre Dame being down in their wide receivers, and, you know, Chris Tyree still learning the position. Rika Flores is still learning the nuances, although that guy is fearless. And then Tobias is struggling. That was a good gamble for them. Not as good a gamble for Louisville, but it absolutely worked. And I think a lot of that went back to play calling, where. They were running into a box of 9 or 10 defenders at times, and then it was 2nd and 11. Or it was 3rd and 14 instead of 2nd and 6, maybe a short slant pass that gets you 4 yards, 2nd and 6. That maybe opens up the deep game a little bit at that point. So that's where I think the play calling really hindered Notre Dame and made Drew Pine look I mean made Sam Hartman play like Drew Pine and that's a shame and that's a waste of that talent
2: that's a great way of looking at it I had not thought about it in that way I think that's terrific analysis coach Parker his job is not only to call the plays but to coordinate the offense. He makes the final decision on everything that's going on right. with the offense. Now, I don't know if Marcus gets involved, but in general terms he, he has veto
0: power on certain things, quick veto power. Well, like going on some for things. it on fourth down.
2: Right, but I mean an offensive yeah. game planning, yeah, I'm not yeah. imagining right. he's getting right that involved. So with Parker being ultimately the decision maker on everything that goes on offense, why in the world would they rotate interior offensive linemen? That, to me, I've called it unique. I want to call it strange, but I'm trying to be fair. Okay, now
0: do you have the quote handy to yes. read what he said and then I will comment
2: after? Okay, that? again, there are two different media sessions. Eric is involved in one, then like TV and others are in another one. Correct. And the radio TV portion, Jared hardly has answered any questions. They whisked him away, but you guys got a bunch. So they never got to the offensive line part of that, so I don't have the audio, but here it is. Here is the question. How much of the offensive line rotation did you factor into? How do you think it worked or didn't work? This is Jared Parker. Quote, you make those decisions, of course, every week when you're talking about personnel and we make them together. I'll stand behind what we believed we needed to do based off where we were health." wise where we are with playing as many as we have so straight where we're also playing where we have to make sure we plan for the long term to see some of those guys plays and that they had earned the right through practice to play it's both how did they do they did solid it's something that did they play at a level that's going to be Winning all the time? Maybe not. But at the same time, I think all of our coaches would sit right here in front of you and say probably no position group did. See, I don't want to hear that. That's fair to those guys who got their chance. It was good to see them get to do those things. But we have to play better at every position, end quote. So before I throw it back to you, haven't we learned over time, and none of us are offensive line coaches, what do we always hear? Five guys have to work as one. Right, It is one unit working together, and sometimes when there is a new guy on the line, there's a lack of trust because you don't know if they understand what they're supposed to do, and that can lead to breakdowns on the offensive line. So, Eric, that's what we've learned. So now I serve back to you. I volley back to you. I heard what he said there, but I still understand why they did it because Coogan – was injured, he said, or Marcus said, and missed some time Tuesday. Well, if Sam Hartman missed time Tuesday, I bet you he's still starting on Saturday.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I think Coogan missed 15 plays in the game. So <laughs> unless it was an injury related, I mean he was in, then he was out, and then he was back in. Shrouth played both guards, Kristoffic played center, um, and then Tosh Baker actually came in for Blake Fisher. Because of an injury, that makes which, sense. Which makes sense. Um, but the Coogan thing wasn't offered up until I asked about it on Monday, and and even then, hey hey, let me say this: I'm a Billy Shrouth honk. I mean, I yes, you were in I, the off season. Yeah, I definitely feel like he's got a very good future. So seeing him try it out there, I just don't like it in those circumstances. If he earned that and earned the start. Then let him play from start to finish, and you know, you've know you had a whole week of practice where he's been getting that chemistry and so forth. I think better, if you're going to make that move, make it after the bye week when you've had more chances to really work on that chemistry and, and really understand whether you need
2: that. So really, the, them saying one of the reasons they did this was the Coogan injury, that's not really a great answer. Because I he played th- everything but 15 plays, so right, why right, are you basing right. it on that?
0: Right. If if Coogan started the game and said, you know what, Coach, I can't go, or they realized he can't go, that he was trying to push himself, then that makes sense. But then, <laughs> then Shrouth shows up over in Rocco's spot. Actually, Rocco Spindler graded out. That was his best grade of the season. Which was kind of interesting.
2: I just don't like Stroud playing both. It's not as easy well, as it sounds.
0: And the the suggestion I made and and I don't you know didn't study the film on it, I just threw the question out there. Joe Alt looked the worst I had ever seen him. And is that because of the rotation at the left guard?
2: You you wonder? Absolutely. That's what's gone
0: through my mind. Because especially when you're playing a team that is showing that much movement pre-snap, is that really what you want to do is rotate guards and rotate into your linemen? So for me, that was um, no-go. So when you go back to, okay, where did this decision come from? I think, um, I don't know if it was whether in that particular quote or a subsequent follow-up question, but um, I think Jared Parker gave off the impression that all the offensive coaches were on board with this. His decision. Well, we had asked Joe Rudolph, either in spring or early in training camp when we had him, you know, what's your philosophy about? Because at the time, I don't think that the guards had been decided yet. And he said, I would much rather not rotate. I would rather have figure out who my five best guys are and play them. And so this isn't something that's in Joe Rudolph's wheelhouse of wanting to DNA. do. DNA, yeah. Yeah. Could he could he have changed his mind? Yes. But without having a chance to ask him about it And again, I, I'm sure the one thing that as a head coach and, and even as an offensive coordinator, you don't want an ununited front in talking to the media. You don't want a whole bunch of different voices uh, telling different stories. And so – uh, that was the version that Jared Parker decided to do. Now, would Harry he stand have done this? I mean, he did have a <laughs> one-year plan rotation of Tommy Kramer and um, Robert, Hainsey. Robert Hainsey on a very elite line, and it worked. But the cohesion in that offensive line was never an issue. Bingo. They were really, really good. I mean, that was the McGlinchey. Quentin Nelson group that ended up, Sam Mustafer that ended up winning the uh, the Joe Moore Award. Was Alex Barrs the other guard? I don't Might remember. Have been. But, but those two were 1A and 1B. Yeah. There wasn't like there was a drop-off. Right. And, you know, Hainsey was the young one. He's still playing in the NFL. Tommy mm. Kramer is too. I yeah. mean, it's not like, um, you know, and it was a very unique situation and they made it work. This what kind of reeked of, a little bit of desperation panic right Brian Kelly also made a move during the 2021 season and it kind of saved their season and that they had a revolving door going at left tackle in part because of injuries they lost Blake Fisher who was their opening day starter for the season until the bowl game then they had Michael Carmody in there then they had Tosh Baker in there and they eventually went to Joe Alt as a true freshman And he started the last eight games and was great. They also wanted some more physicality at the left guard. They pushed Zeke Correll out of there and put Andrew Kristofik in, and it did help them. But they weren't rotating those guys in and out in the midst of games. They only did that because of, you know, um, they would only have done that because of injury. They rotated left tackles because of injury. But once they found Joe Ault, then it was it, and he became an All-American. So,
2: Hmm. Well, so I would be very critical of that rotation move. And at the end of the day, no matter whose decision it was or who had the idea, Parker has the opportunity to say, I don't think that's a good idea. He approved it, so the buck stops there.
0: Okay, Darren, here's where I want to go really big picture with this question. Yeah, this is a very important big picture question. So when Jared Parker was hired, there were a lot of people that were Really? You know, that Concerned. was their response. Mm-hmm. They, they had some concern, and Jared Parker interviewed very well. You only had three guys that interviewed. You had Colin Klein from Kansas State. You had Andy Ludwig from Utah, and then you had Jared Parker, and they settled on Parker. Let's say Brian Kelly was going through the same process with the same offensive coordinators. Had he picked Parker – it would have been less risky because yes. Brian Kelly, whether you liked him or not as a coach or as a, an offensive mind, he was a backstop. He could fix things. If if there was when he had Tommy Reese as a young coordinator, you know, if you think about the driver's ed car with the extra brake on the right side, he had that. <laughs> well, Marcus doesn't have that. You have an no. inexperienced head coach with an inexperienced coordinator. Now when you have to fix something. Who's going to do it? And and that's where, you know, Jared Parker's going to have to dig deep or Marcus Freeman or both of them. That's where that hire was risky. Now, that doesn't mean this can't work out, but it's a diff, much more difficult fix. Brian Kelly, you know, again, I think sometimes with a veteran coach, Marcus is at least open to other, other ideas and let's do things a different way in a better way. You know, there are times... Uh, an older coach might dig in his heels and say, no, nope, we're doing it my way. This has always worked, and it's going to work. And then they get in trouble because football is evolutionary. You've always got to be trying to stay ahead of the curve. So, But Brian Kelly had to come to that point after the 2016 season. He had to say, you know what? I'm messing up on and off the field, and so are some of my assistants, and I need to clean house, and I need to redo myself. Yeah. You know, Marcus isn't at that point. Marcus just needs to know how to fix it. You you look back at the coaching moves that didn't work here. Bob Davey, what he dug in his heels. He would not listen to anybody. Bob thought he had all the answers, and he thinks I have all the
3: answers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: Tyrone Willingham had never been a coordinator on either side of the ball, so he was incredibly dependent on on uh, both of those coordinators Bill Diedrich Oof. and and Kent Bear I think Kent Bear was a pretty good yes. mind I think neither of those guys did very well in the spotlight of Notre Dame and it made them worse coordinators um Charlie had a lot of answers for the offense now again people adjusted to him and he had to kind of counterpunch back he had the bad 2007 season But he was able to put together pretty good offenses in 2008 and 2009. What he couldn't fix was the defense. And, yeah, he could go to Bill Belichick and say, Bill, give us a blueprint of how to fix our defense. Here's our film. And a 34 guy then hands the game plan to a 43 defense and say, okay, here. And it didn't work. Mm -mm. So Charlie couldn't fix that side of the ball. Now, Now, Marcus needs to show that he can help fix the offensive side of the
2: ball. People have suggested that eventually Notre Dame might have to bring in a veteran offensive assistant to help. And just an example, the name that always comes up is Cutcliffe, who's retired, David Cutcliffe, kind of the, the Mannings guy and a great offensive mind, head coach at Duke for a long time. Do they need someone like that to help? I mean, you got Gadulli who has done it a little bit play yeah. calling, and Rudolph has. Is that enough? Especially if we have these blunders. Well, I, if I'm not
0: mistaken, there was an overlap with Cutcliffe and Parker that they actually worked together at Duke very briefly. Okay. Um, so that's not a that's not a bad idea. I, I you know some people suggested today in the chat suggested and some of our other things. I they're all running together now about maybe Gino Gaduli should take this over. He's been an offensive coordinator. Maybe um, Joe Rudolph could do that. Um, but I do like I, – I don't know, you know, at this point, does that save the season? Does that help? You know, would it, that have been a better plan going into the season? I think that's the answer. That would would have been a good – having a veteran presence would have been a good hire. Remember, uh, what, was the, um, what was the former safeties coach when he became an analyst? The guy that had to have the kidney transplant, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, came from Iowa. But he helped, when he was a consultant for Notre Dame, he was incredibly valuable. He was the guy that figured out how to attack the triple option. Not, not the first go-round when Lou Holtz helped um, Brian Kelly with it, but later in the Brian Kelly era. And so I'll remember his name before the end of the show. But uh, um, there have been some consultants that have been incredibly valuable. And in fact, it was this guy's idea to have a squad that didn't, a walk of walk ons that did nothing but practice the triple option so that they could do it in the spring. They could do it a little bit in the summer. They could do it a little bit in fall camp to be ready for it. It was a great idea. So, yeah, I think there are consultants that could be that valuable especially when there's some inexperience and especially when you have a guy like jared parker who's not an egomaniac who is open to other ideas
2: the one thing we'll never know is did marcus freeman have the chance to truly hire the offensive coordinator he wanted was it denied or at the end of the day this is the direction he went we'll never know because, like you said, there were a couple other names and there was a hockey game (laughs) and all those type of things. You just wonder, did Marcus have an open checkbook to get who he wanted? We'll never know. Bob Elliott was the guy I was trying to think. Bob Elliott, that's exactly right. All right, we'll take a timeout. I want to talk a little defense with you, Eric. Eric Hansen, publisher, editor, InsideIndieSports.com, covering Notre Dame sports on the Rivals Network. I'm Darren Pritchett. More to get to on this Wednesday on Sports Radio 960 W.
1: Notre Dame football coverage continues now.
2: And a diving catch by Notre Dame, Benjamin Morrison. Three interceptions on the day.
1: Budweiser's weekday sports beat.
2: Intercepted
1: on the 45-yard line, Tariq Bracey. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
3: He will score 10-5, touchdown Benjamin Morrison. 95 yards out. Yeah, I think NC State is such a unique defense um, that, that you're probably not going to take schematically everything they've done. But
2: All right, that was going to be Marcus Freeman talking about run defense. I actually picked the wrong soundbite, so that's my error. I will take responsibility. I'm not going to pawn it off on somebody else. That one's on me. But I want to talk defense with Eric for a couple of moments as we continue on with Budweiser's weekday sports beat. From Sports Radio 960 WSBT, Eric, of course, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, covering Notre Dame football and the Rivals Network. I'm Darren Pritchett. 544 is our time. All right, let's move to defense for a few moments. I haven't spent a lot of time on the defense so far this week. Why don't you just offer, Eric, your analysis, your thoughts On the Notre Dame defense against Louisville, knowing that late in the ballgame, they were put in a tough spot. The turnovers, they held them to some field goals to their credit. But you look at the last couple of weeks, the defense and throughout the year have been doing what I think is a really good job. I kind of gave Al Golden a B for the season so far. Maybe I'm not being fair enough greater, but I'm just wondering what you got out of the defense defense from Saturday's game against a Louisville team we knew had a couple of explosive skill position players. Right. And and they got some explosive
0: plays out of their offense. And if you're going to be um, set up the way Notre Dame is where you're not you know, able to get as much pressure as you'd like with your front four and you're not going to be super aggressive with your blitzing against Jack Plummer, who's not – I mean, they sacked him six times last year when he was playing for Cal. Um, if if that's going to be the case, then, um, you know, you've got to stop those explosive plays. That's, that's one of the trade-offs, and I think that's one thing Al Golden would say is, you know, sometimes we're not as all out to stop the run if we can prevent explosive plays, make you drive the length of the field, knowing that – thinking that you'll make a mistake at some point that – Notre Dame can take advantage of so, um, so, but I do think as you look at the defense and how it can possibly improve, the missed tackles still are problematic, and I, I'm still not sure. I think I agree with the fan base from the standpoint. I think that they're leaning on what Maris Leafal did. The first three or four games of the season too much and need to play more Jack Kaiser, more Jalen Sneed in that position to maximize that position.
2: Okay. Run defense, good at times, but giving up explosive plays the last three ball games, which definitely is concerning. Another thing I want to get to is over the last three weeks. And I don't want to just say we're only basing this on three weeks. we got to look at the entire picture. But has the last three weeks changed the way you look at the upside of Marcus Freeman as Notre Dame's head coach? I bring it up because against Ohio State, you had 10 men on the field twice with a game on the line and maybe the biggest series of the year. Against Duke, you had... The estimate touchdown, which supposed to be him just centering the football and settling for a field goal from about 48 yards. And then when he did get near the goal line, he should have taken a knee. And now we have 4th and 11 against Louisville late in the game from your own 35. You're down two scores with 10 to go. That's still a long time left. So these are decisions that he has made. He called that he was playing the percentages by going for it on 4th and 11 in that spot. Are these concerning? Has it altered the way you think about the upside of our head coach? It
0: hasn't altered the way I've looked at the upside, but it has altered the way that I look at the present and how critical this part of his career is in terms of reaching the potential that I still see for him. So, yes, from that standpoint, um, and – I will say this, you go through this with other coaches. I mean, even Brian Kelly, as experienced as he was, when you put him into the Notre Dame spotlight and so forth, there's different rules and different experiences that he has to work his way through here that he can't get from other experiences. I think, again, I've never been a huge fan of hiring a coach without head coaching experience. I thought... In this particular instance, with um, what's the Wisconsin coach's name that was at Cincinnati? His boss. Anyways, <laughs> okay. Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle, thank you. With Luke Fickle uh. not available um, and Notre Dame having to wait that long, I didn't. I think Tyler James, I know, thinks it would have been worth the wait. I didn't. And I thought there was more risk in not hiring Marcus than hiring him. Uh, but um, he's at one of those critical points that you have to write a passage that you have to get through if you're going to be a a great coach or even a good coach, and so we'll see how this plays out. But I still think a lot of the things that I felt were in Marcus's favor in terms of having great potential as a head coach
2: are still in play for him, but he has to work his way through this. So against Louisville – down in the ball game by two scores under 10 minutes to go from your own 35 he decided to go for it on fourth and 11 here's why
3: two score game right and so you play a percentage hey we either got to get a three and out that's at, at if we punt the ball and and hope that we get enough time to go to have two separate possessions or you try to convert right there and um play the percentages of, okay, so even if you you don't convert here and you go three and out, you force a kick the field goal, it's still a two-point game. And so that went into my decision.
2: Okay. Personally, I do not like the decision. I think it was a panic decision. But also, I try to look at it from Marcus's standpoint. Yesterday, I tried to put myself in his shoes on why he went that direction. I don't understand playing the percentages because that's not playing the percentages. So, Eric, all I could think of, if I'm trying to get into Marcus's head why he thought that was the way to go, I'm just assuming at that point of the game he did not have confidence in his defense or maybe in particular his run defense to be able to get the three and out or a short drive necessary for Notre Dame to get the ball back two times. Hence, that's why he went that direction. That's the best I've come up with. Did you like that? Do you see any reason why maybe he should have gone that direction?
0: I hated the decision um, at that point, and I still don't like it today. Um, and and here's why: I, I can't find a rationale for doing it. Um, and I, I talked this through with people that I respect, and and actually people that didn't think it was the worst thing in the world to do at that point. Mm, okay. And their thought was, well, he was right. He was able to hold him to a field goal, and it was twenty-seven thirteen, and. But it could have been very easily 31-13, then the game's over. And my thought is if you if you have the confidence in your defense that you can hold them to a field goal there, then why not punt it and have the same confidence that you could hold them to a punt yes. at, at that point? There aren't a lot of great 4th and 11 plays. I realized <laughs> that Notre Dame had come up with a 4th and 16 one uh, but that wasn't the one that they had drawn up in the dirt uh, that was converted, and they were doing so poorly on third and long, second and long, and fourth and long, and or second and third and long in that game. What gave you the idea? If it were fourth and one, I could see the rationale a little bit more. Or if you and, and if you had some momentum with the offense, but it was like. Really, is that what's going to jump start them? Let's say they converted that 4th and 11 there uh, and got up to the 46-yard line and then stalled there and it was another 4th and 10. Then what do you do? You're right about the 50-yard line. Do you go for it again? So what was this going to lead to? What was the best-case scenario that was going to happen there? So I just thought it was a terrible risk because if it's thirty-one thirteen, the game is definitely yeah. over.
2: Okay. But those are, again, big picture items. You can't yeah. have these things we're talking about continue to pop well, up it, as you move forward into next year. It, if, if that's what your analytics are telling you, if that's what the numbers are spitting out at you. Somebody needs to be fired. You, <laughs> you
0: either need a new computer that hasn't been hacked or you need a cheat code. One of those two things. A wristband.
2: Get a wristband. When in doubt, put a wristband on. Do you think simplifying the offense will help the offense if, in fact, they do that? Marcus Freeman did bring that up on Monday. I
0: think simplifying the offense could help some if there are players that are being confused. But I don't think it's necessarily going to help the offensive line. They have certain principles that they have to do when they see pre-snap movement and so forth. But if you're talking about playing Rico Flores a lot more and simplifying things for him, I mean, you definitely don't have to simplify him for the quarterback. you got a 60 year guy. Uh, so you would be talking about maybe the wide receivers, maybe some of the younger tight ends, I guess the running backs. But who are you simplifying it for? I mean, I, I, I don't I think know. it's a bad question to ask. I just don't know what what the
2: best case scenario of at this, going with that at this is. moment does anyone have confidence that that can be pulled off right well one other thing I want to get to you look at the slot you've got Chris Tyree you've got Jaden Greathouse sounds like he'll be back phase on, the lacrosse guy <laughs> who looked as good as anybody last week I mean those are slot guys can Greathouse go to the outside can that help get more production on the outside or is that a big ask
0: uh, Jared Parker was asked that, and he did say he could go to outside. And I could see him, I don't think it's his best position, but I think he could go into the boundary based on how muscular he is, how well he shields his body when the ball's coming his way. I could see him being some help there. But, yeah, you have now Chris Tyree, Jordan Greathouse, and Jordan Faison. You have a lack of boundary receivers. Jaden Thomas coming back from an injury. You don't have Deion Colsey right now. Braylon James isn't ready, and he does, you know, doesn't profile yet as a true boundary receiver with his physical. He will as he gets stronger and older, but um, so yeah, I don't think Faison works outside. I think you'd rather, yeah. again, with him being, he's a freshman too, so it would be better to kind of keep him in the
2: same spot. Final question this week against USC: Do you expect Tobias Merriweather to play half the snaps? He played
0: a season low 25 against Louisville. I, unless he shows in practice, uh, I don't, uh, I don't understand why that would be something that you would do. I think the one thing about Rico Flores is he may make mistakes from not knowing the nuances of things, but he's not going to make. Mistakes out of being afraid to make a mistake. He's fearless, and that's kind of what Notre Dame needs now. I think Tobias still has a world of talent that he needs to kind of figure out how to maximize.
2: Okay. Eric Hansen, publisher, editor, insideindiesports.com. Darren Pritchett with you. Quick timeout. We'll get to our Twitter question of the day results from yesterday and ask today's question here on WSB.
1: This is the Budweiser's weekday Sportsbeat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: Sportsbeat continues. I'm Darren Pritchett with Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com covering Notre Dame athletics for the Rivals Network. Our Twitter question of the day from Tuesday. So, Eric, as you know, the last three games, the Notre Dame offense is averaging 18 points per game. The USC defense, the last three contests, they are allowing 36 points per game, including 41 their last two. So how many points do you expect the Irish to score against USC? So I try to use those 18 and 36 parameters. So I I did it in this fashion. Your four choices were Notre Dame would score between 0 and 21, 22 to 35, 36, which is USC's average the last three weeks, all the way up to 45. And then, let's think big, 46 or more. So, before I give the results, Eric, I don't know if you've come up with your master final lock-it-in score prediction, but maybe generally speaking, where do you lay on this? I haven't come
0: up with even who I think will win yet <laughs> either or either. a score, but wh- but I'll play along with the game. I want to say... 36 to 45, because I think that's what it's going to take. No matter how poorly the USC defense plays, I think you have to get into the 40s to beat them. Uh, Even though Arizona almost did it in regulation with a much lower score, but USC was scoring like crazy in the overtimes. But I'm gonna
2: go with 22 to 35 right now. I wanna be realistic. Okay, the voting win is followed. 2.3% said 46 or more. At the start of the year, maybe three weeks ago, you might have gone that way (laughs) with as bad as USC has been defensively and with the way the Irish were going. Third in the voting, we pick up USC's average in this number, 36 to 45 points, I got 10.2% of the vote. 22.7% felt like Notre Dame would score 0 to 21. That's a really high number. But, like Eric said, 64.8%, that was the winning vote, decided that Notre Dame will score between 22 and 35 points. So that means they would score less points than USC has given up the last three weeks, which would be disappointing. Right.
0: Now, to be fair or whatever.
2: Oh, we're not being fair. No, I'm kidding.
0: (laughs) The Arizona-USC game at the end of regulation was 28-28, which is stunning. Yeah. Um, and it and it's stunning that Arizona was using a five foot nine, one hundred seventy five pound backup quarterback uh, to try to engineer that upset. Now they scored in both of the first two overtimes. They did not. When they went to just two point conversions, they didn't get that, and that was the difference in the third overtime. Mm-mm-mm. But I mean, here here, Darren, this is this is the bar though. Drew Pine and Arizona State put up 28 points against USC. Oof. 28 points. If Notre Dame can't put up 28 points with a much better surrounding cast and a much better quarterback, what does that say? We got problems. Yeah. We got big problems. So that's why that answer needs to be at least in the category above where I picked the 36 to 40. Points. Someone's
2: going to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I don't like to think this way, but hypothetically, how bizarre, and I don't know if it's anything more than just a stat, but can you imagine if this team kind of slides the rest of the way? Drew Pine had eight wins as a starter. There's a chance Sam Hartman could have eight as a starter this year.
0: Well, at least he's not getting moved to tight end.
2: Or maybe not, as we found <laughs> out, right? Now Narduzzi saying that Djokovic didn't move to tight end. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I didn't oh, see yeah, the yeah. latest. Oh, oh yeah. it's Pat. It's Pat being Pat. Oh, where, where did he move? I don't know. Just down the depth chart? I <laughs> think. <laughs> okay. He's now he's the official social media coordinator for Pitt football the rest of the way. <laughs> okay. Aha! <laughs> All right, today's question, which you can find on my Twitter account, at 960 Sports Beat. Which of these Notre Dame wide receivers do you trust the most? Of these four, who do you trust the most? Thomas, Greathouse, Flores, or Tyree? I didn't put Tobias because I know what right. people are saying, so there's no point right. going down that road. Do you want to play or pass until I'll tomorrow? Play. Okay, play. I'm going
0: with Jaden Thomas. That's the one who I think knows the offense the most, who's going to come down the ball the most. I don't think he has the best ability to separate of those four, but I do, I do put check marks with him with everything else.
2: Notre Dame's missing a guy. They got guys. Yep. They need a guy. They need Tobias to be the Tobias. Uh, that yeah. We right. don't give up, but yeah. things are trending in not the direction you want. Okay. Based on the snaps right. in last Saturday's game. Right. That's all we can go by. We don't go by practice. We go by snaps in the game and Well, and if and if he's not going to be, then
0: you're developing other people. And that's one of the reasons Jordan Faye's on play last week, because he can help them. I can't wait to see him play lacrosse. If he's that fast on the football field, can you imagine?
2: I never thought we'd. I know be there's no about, such thing as a dunk in men's lacrosse, <laughs> but I think he could probably do it. I never thought there'd be a game we'd be talking about. A walk-on lacrosse player was the best wide receiver for a Notre Dame football team in a top-25 matchup. Oh, my gosh. You know, you stay around these parts, we see everything, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> we do. Man, oh, man, the... This is my 25 years. I think back, holy cow.
0: You know, somebody asked me in the chat today, you know, is this a tough week to own a website and, you know, be doing this? And it's not. I mean, it's exhausting because people are upset and there's a lot of work to do. And yet it's a thrill to be around a fan base that cares as much. Yeah. And that's the blessing in this. That people care. I mean, I've seen this beat when people are indifferent, when they stop caring, and usually the coach is in trouble. And that's when you know their
2: days are numbered. In our business, you want 12 and 0, or you want something like this, where there's just so much to fix. You get to break down your thoughts and talk to people that were in these individual shoes and try to figure out how to make it better. People want to know how to fix this. And I think a lot of people want to know are the right guys in place. That's conversation started. Fair or not, that's where fans go when the playoffs go by. By 57 days before the Final Four is announced. All right. I got to get you out of here. I'm sorry. Let me play your theme. Oh, they're soothing. It makes it all better, doesn't it? It does. You should have this song when you open the website. <laughs> That'd be great. I'd love that. All right, so what are we going to find at ndsports.com? Well,
0: we've got some recruiting tidbits. We have the chat
2: transcript
0: from today. Probably the best chat all year. I give people credit for coming up with great questions and tasteful venting. You know, it wasn't vent-free, but it was tasteful venting. Was there whining allowed today? Well, whining is venting with... <laughs> and so
2: not... not <laughs> what? Not, not, not I have really? a definition of that sound effect? <laughs> yeah. what was, that was like a cat falling out <laughs> yeah. of a building or something. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck was that? <laughs> we have the transcripts <laughs> from Jared Parker and... <laughs> and, and,
0: and Al Golden's interviews... We have some women's basketball news, too. They had their media day yesterday, so the latest on Olivia <gasps> Miles and what that team's going to look like. They're going to be pretty good. So, and much, <laughs> much more. Yeah. At least I didn't make a Scooby-Doo noise. It was a
2: cat being caught in a s- partner, sliding door. Partner watching the Notre Dame football game, I was saying ruh-roh a lot. <laughs> 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 and... I was making sure all my words started with R's because some of those words you can't say on the air. Rut row. Fourth and 11 from your own 35. Rut row. Running against a 10 man front. Rut row. Because I know it's going to be talked about by the Maybe, fans. Th- maybe
0: that's the answer to the offense. Scooby snacks. <laughs>
2: oh. What a day. I got nothing. I got nothing. It would have been fine if it weren't for those measly little Louisville players. (laughs) (laughs) Those meddling kids. Meddling kids, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You got to go. There we go. Yes, thank you. We have all the answers somehow, some way. Eric, thank you. We'll do it again tomorrow. Sounds great. Make sure you check out Eric's work at InsideIndieSports.com and check out the deal. Go to InsideIndieSports.com. Hit subscribe. And if you type in Indie Radio, then you will get, let's see, how many days? 30. 30 days. Okay, I think you said more thirty than, months that time. Now I'm scared yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, it's more than nine <laughs> times. Thank you so much. It all nine comes times. together. Nine times. <sighs> nine nine <sighs> times. Row, row, there's more of Sports Beat coming up in a couple of moments. 6-11 on your home of the Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Calling all Fighting Irish hoops fans. Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Case by Gamble. 20, 10, what a run! Touchdown! Spectacular run! Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Erb Smith, touchdown. Five, by rocket touchdown, Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
2: Welcome back to the program, 623 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Really enjoyed that conversation with Eric Hansen. Like I said, we didn't talk much this week before the show, and it was kind of fun not knowing the direction he was going to go when I asked what he thought were the major issues with the Irish offense. And like I laid out last, and I think better wide receiver play would really help the offensive coordinator, would help out the running game. But Eric Point Blank said he thought play calling was the biggest issue right now with the Notre Dame offense. So very intriguing conversation. Read more on Notre Dame football through the eyes of Eric at InsideIndieSports.com. Well, this next segment was designed at the start of the year to focus on Notre Dame football and teams around them as they attempted to make a push for the college football playoff. But as I mentioned a couple of times earlier, 57 days before the announcement of the Final Four comes out, Notre Dame is already eliminated. So I guess our DP rankings of college football up until Notre Dame can continue, but now it's more about, I guess, New Year's Six bowl possibilities if they lose one more game that's gone too and then you start as eric put it years ago dumpster diving in the bowl process so this is my ranking there are top 25 eric votes in a i guess a sweet 16 or a top 16 so mine is a little different we keep going until i say notre dame and then we stop so let's talk about the team's right now at the top of college football and where I have the Fighting Irish ranked. So let's just have some fun talking some college football. Get away from 4th and 11, offensive line rotations, etc. Okay, we'll start at number one for the second straight week. I have Florida State as my number one team of the country. They won at home over Virginia Tech, 39-17. They bagged victories over LSU and Clemson already. And they've got an extremely winnable football game in Tallahassee Saturday at noon as Syracuse comes to Doak Campbell Stadium. I think right now offense, defense, Florida State is for sure one of the top four teams. Georgia almost went back to number one. I'm gonna leave them at number two for one more week. Let's see if they can put together another dominant performance. They probably will based on the opponent. But Kirby Smart's team is six and zero. They walloped Kentucky between the hedges, 51-13. to Up next, they're going to Nashville to Broadway to take on the Vanderbilt Commodores led by Clark Lee. That's a noon kick on Saturday. My number three team of the country out of the Pac-12, the Washington Huskies. Michael Penix has played magnificent football for the Huskies this year. They had the old bye week before the massive matchup at home against number, what I have is seven, Oregon. This Saturday, it is a 3.30 kickoff. I'm really glad Notre Dame plays later so we can watch this very important game in college football. Washington hosting Oregon. Washington moves up one spot to number three in my DP rankings up until Notre Dame. At number four, rising seven spots, we've got the Oklahoma Sooners. What a terrific win by Oklahoma taking down the Texas Longhorns in the Red River shootout at the Cotton Bowl amidst the Texas State Fair. Last second touchdown pass, Oklahoma wins 34 30. Again, I moved Oklahoma from 11 to 4 with that huge victory over Texas. The Sooners. Our idle this week. At number five, Jim Harbaugh's Michigan Wolverines. Michigan, 6-0. A yawner of a victory in Minneapolis over Minnesota last Saturday, 52-10. That was a dominating performance. I think P.J. Fleck mentioned that's the best Michigan team or best team he's seen in a while. Well, Michigan gets a layup at the Big House Saturday at noon, as they take on Indiana. The number six team in my DP rankings up until Notre Dame. Also from the Big Ten, the Penn State Nittany Lions, they are five and zero, oh. Coming off a bye, now they take on UMass in Happy Valley at 3.30. Their defense looking really good. Can't wait for Penn State and Ohio State. My number seven team in the country up one spot, The Oregon Ducks out of the Pac-12. 5-0, idle last week. Bo Nix and that Duck offense. Maybe it'll be a shootout against Washington at 3.30. My number eight team of the country, the Ohio State Buckeyes. They are 5-0. Was not easy at home against the Maryland Terrapins. 10-10 at halftime. Ohio State pulled away in the second half. After trailing 10-0, Ohio State would score 37 of the next 44 points. And they beat the Terps 37 to 17. And now the Buckeyes go to West Lafayette. They will play Purdue, coming off a loss to Iowa in Iowa City, losing to a Hawkeye offense without their quarterback Cade McNamara. Noon kick in West Lafayette, Ohio State at Purdue. My number nine team dropping six spots. The Texas Longhorns. They are five and one. They still have. A terrific victory in Tuscaloosa over Alabama, but came up short in the rivalry game to Oklahoma 34-30. At number 10, I've got the USC Trojans. They're not a complete football team. Great offense, mediocre defense. Will that be enough to win in South Bend? USC, was tied with Arizona at the Coliseum at 28 at the end of regulation. And USC squeaked out a 43-41 triple overtime win against a less than stellar Arizona football team. As we all know, USC still has massive playoff hopes and opportunity against the Irish in South Bend Saturday night at 730 here on WSBT Radio. Next up in my DP rankings, up until I say Notre Dame at number 11, it is the Alabama Crimson Tide. They are five and one, getting better each week. They went to College Station. And after being down seven at halftime, the Tide came back and beat the Aggies 26-20. And Bama should go to six and one this Saturday when they take on A struggling Arkansas Razorback team in Tuscaloosa. My number 12 team, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Drake May, spectacular. Man, is he fun to watch play quarterback for the Heels. North Carolina crushed Syracuse in Chapel Hill 40-7. And now Carolina goes to South Beach to take on what has to be a group of players and coaches whose heads are spinning after what happened last Saturday. The Miami Hurricanes will host the Heels. 7-30 kick. Miami had the game won against Georgia Tech. They were up 17-14. All they had to do was take a knee. One final snap, take a knee, game over. They snapped the ball, running back fumbles. Ultimately, Georgia Tech scores a game-winning touchdown. Remember the Herm Edwards miracle at the Meadowlands? The Giants, all they had to do was take a knee. A handoff was fumbled, and Herm Edwards, a defensive back for the Eagles, picked it up and scored. The infamous miracle in the Meadowlands. Well, it was an absolute mess in Miami. Saturday night is Cristobal. You talk about a coaching blunder. That is as bad as it gets. So a big opportunity for Carolina. My number 13 team from the SEC, it is Ole Miss. The Rebels are 5-1 after losing in Tuscaloosa again to Alabama. Came back and got by Arkansas, 27-20, Lane Kiffin squad idle this week. My DP rankings up until I say Notre Dame at number 14, the Oregon State Beavers out of the Pac-12. They're 5-1. They want a shootout in Berkeley over the Cal Golden Bears, 52-40. DJU having a nice year away from Clemson. This week, Oregon State hosts a really good, UCLA football team at 8 o'clock. Speaking of UCLA, they're number 15 in my ranking. Chip Kelly's team, 4-1. They knocked off a ranked Washington State team at the Rose Bowl last Saturday, 25-17. And now that game in Corvallis against Oregon State. My number 16 team, a team that lost to Notre Dame. The Duke Blue Devils, they're 4-1. Idle last week after the Notre Dame game, and now they welcome North Carolina State to Durham, 8 o'clock kick. I would assume Riley Leonard won't play the great Duke quarterback. I actually haven't read one way or the other. It's just my assumption based on that high ankle sprain. My number 17 team, the Louisville Cardinals. I think they're good. I don't think they're great. They're 6-0. They beat Notre Dame by 13, and they should win again as they will take on a Pittsburgh team without Phil Dracovic at quarterback. He is on the bench. Coming in at 18 of my DP rankings, up until I say Notre Dame. From the SEC, the Tennessee Volunteers. The Vols are four and one, no action last week. They're in Knoxville to take on Texas A&M at 3.30. Coming in at number 19, we finally say Notre Dame. So we'll stop the poll there. Fighting Irish are five and two, the highest ranked two loss team in my ranking. Extremely disappointing loss to Louisville. A lot of questions to answer on the offensive side of the football. And how does Notre Dame fare against a USC team that is very poor defensively and explosive offensively? It's been a decade since USC has won in South Bend. You lose this game. Three of the next four are very, very winnable with a game at Clemson. You kind of threw your hands up like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. So Notre Dame is ranked 19th in my DP rankings this week. We'll take a timeout. I'll spend a few moments talking Notre Dame hockey. Their opening weekend last weekend at home. But Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT. Welcome back to Sports Beat. I'm Darren Pritchett. 6:42 is our time. We will have Thursday night NFL action coming up tomorrow. The Denver Broncos at Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. I want to spend just a couple of moments here talking some Fighting Irish hockey as Notre Dame opened their year against Clarkson at the Compton Family Ice Arena Saturday and Sunday. It is definitely a new-look fighting Irish hockey team from the standpoint that Coach Jackson started seven freshmen on Saturday, eight freshmen on Sunday. You had some guys come back for another year, a grad student year, which can make a big impact in particular. The Big Ten goaltender of the year, Ryan Bischel, returns. You also got veteran forward Trevor Janicky back, part of what you would call the top six forwards. And also, still Notre Dame has a, a veteran defensive quarterback, a guy like Landon Slagger, Justin Janicki, guys that you can count on for offense. I think there's still more upside in their game. But also the Irish brought in a very key defenseman in Ryan Sedum from Harvard. As a grad student, he is going to be a big addition, moves the puck extremely well out of his own zone. And that was a major issue for the fighting Irish hockey team last year. And also, the Fighting Irish picked up from Providence, another top six forward in Patrick Moynihan. But the Irish added a lot of talent in their freshman class. Two guys that were drafted very early on in last year's draft, Danny Nelson and also Cole Knoebel. We saw them make their debuts. And you know what? A lot of extra things to worry about when you're a center, let alone being a freshman. you got to handle both ends of the ice. And... I'm not a hockey coach, but I think they really held their own and provided a spark on offense over the weekend as Danny Nelson scored his first collegiate goal, one of those dirty goals around the net on Sunday and helping the Irish win 3-0. But on Saturday, it looked like a team that had freshmen. you got to keep in mind, the first official day of practice was game day for Notre Dame. Everybody was dealing with the same rules, and the Fighting Irish – with all those freshmen, there's a lot of things you got to incorporate them into your team. And so it looked like the Irish were a little sluggish coming out of the gates, but they found their game. And I thought they played really well the last oh, 48, 9 minutes of Sunday's game. Really found their legs after losing by a score of 3-1 to one on Saturday. The third goal was an empty netter. The Irish played a complete game on Sunday, winning 3-0. Ryan Bischel, who gave up two goals Saturday, none were his fault, or neither was his fault, I should say, had his sixth career shutout, a 22-save performance. Nelson scored. Jaden Davis, who didn't play Saturday, got into the lineup on Sunday. He scored on his very first shot. So congratulations to him. And the South Bend native Landon Slaggart had a goal in each game helping this offense. So it's still to be determined how much offense the Irish will have this year. Long way to go in the season. A major test coming up in 2 weeks with number 1 Boston University coming to town. But one game this weekend, Notre Dame will play in Rochester, New York against RIT. And RIT lost to St. Lawrence on Saturday by a score of 4 to 3. All right, it is 6:45 on your home of the Fighting Irish. We'll get some sports wagering talk coming up next. On Sports Radio 960, WSBTC.
1: Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com.